well, not to wreck the moment, but what if all this wasn't true? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul asks that question. And got his readers, the Corinthians, to contemplate the awful consequences if the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. 1 Corinthians 15 is what we know as the resurrection chapter because there's no uh, other chapter in the Bible where the resurrection or the subject of resurrection is addressed more completely, more fully. Than, than here in 1 Corinthians 15, but this morning I want to zero in on verses 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Paul writes, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Father, we come to this ironic text, which at first sound of it seems a little depressing, a little discouraging, kind of a downer for a subject for the resurrection or a message on the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would see uh, the wisdom of Paul here as he was really backdooring the the Corinthians, by getting them to contemplate what it would be like if the resurrection ever happened, and if he took the resurrection away from them, what, what the consequence, what the results would be, and to help them ultimately to rejoice, to be extremely glad and grateful that the resurrection did happen. And so I pray that your spirit would help us now and see the really the, the paradox, the, the irony in, involved in these verses and that we would leave here not depressed but elated and thrilled as we consider the truth of the resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What if? What if? Have you ever wondered what life would be like if certain significance Significant events in history had, had never happened? What if the Roman Empire never existed? What if Gutenberg never designed the printing press? What if Columbus never discovered America? What if America never revolted against British rule? 
What if Edison never invented the light bulb? What if the Wright brothers never built the first airplane? What if the Japanese never bombed Pearl Harbor? What if Apollo 11 never landed on the moon? What if the Berlin Wall never got torn down? What if the internet was never created? What if terrorists never flew planes into the World Trade Center? If these pivotal events never happened, they would have profound effects on the world as we know it today. And no one can deny that significant events that have happened in the past have, a, have, have made a lasting impact on all of our lives. And I would submit to you that no historic event has greater impact on our lives than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is without question the most significant event in the history of the world. Of all the major empires and dynasties and scientific discoveries and momentous expeditions and archaeological and musical and artistic achievements and famous inventions and wars and revolutions that have occurred since the world began, nothing has changed the course of history more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whether you believe it or not, your entire life here on earth and your eternal destiny hinges on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And yet there have always been those who are willing to jeopardize their very soul by either denying Christ's resurrection or at least questioning its authenticity. Noted historians who who are trained in establishing historical facts and, and, and noted lawyers who are trained in establishing conclusive evidence all agree that there is no other historical fact as thoroughly attested to and unquestionably substantiated as Christ's resurrection. And even though there's less evidence to prove it, no one in their right mind would ever try to deny the the historicity of of Columbus sailing to America or Edison inventing the light bulb or terrorists flying into the Twin Towers. Sure, there's conspiracy theories about things like that, but ever since Jesus rose from the dead, there have been those who have come up with conspiracy theories or denied it or tried to explain it away. And I think it's fascinating that it started the very same day that he was resurrected. They didn't even wait a day before they started trying to deny it and explain it away. In fact, we read that in Matthew, Matthew's gospel that when the guards came to the chief priests and told them that Jesus had, had risen from the dead, he, hey, he, guys, he's not there anymore. What did they do? They bribed them to lie. And to tell people that Jesus' disciples came in the middle of the night while they were sleeping and and stole him away, stole his body. And the scripture says that that became one of the classic theories that was passed down through the centuries to explain away the resurrection. That was just the first of of many, by the way. And, And there's been some doozies. Like the swoon theory, you may have heard of this theory that has been proposed, that Jesus never really died, he just passed out. 
He, he swooned, if you will, in, in, the, in, the, in the tomb. He went into a coma and was buried alive. And the coolness of the tomb and the aroma of the spices revived him. And he escaped and had convinced the disciples that he'd actually come back from the dead when he really never died. That's one theory. There's another theory called the wrong tomb theory that the disciples just went to the wrong tomb. And it was, there, was an, there was nothing in it. And so they assumed that he'd been resurrected. There's the hallucination theory. This is one of my favorites. That the disciples wanted to see Jesus so bad that they imagined that they saw him. They were so, under so much emotional stress that they hallucinated. And so you could put that down in the, in the category of a bad LSD trip, I guess. And then there's the imposter theory. This was probably the one that has been most developed uh, over the years. Uh, basically, Jesus was an imposter. He wanted to make people believe that he was the Messiah by dying and rising again, and so he staged his death. Really? He staged the crucifixion? Uh, he, he was just going to fake it. That's what they say. He was, he was just going to fake it. But his plan got messed up when the soldier actually speared him in the side and actually killed him. I don't know how you fake a crucifixion, by the way. You're hanging there on a cross with nails in your hand and your feet, and you're faking it. I don't think so. And so he actually died, this is the, as the theory goes, and after his body was discarded, another man impersonated Jesus and fooled the disciples into thinking that he really was Jesus. And if you think I'm making this up, there's a book uh, that was popular years ago called The Passover Plot, where this elaborate theory is detailed. Well, I seriously doubt that any of you woke up this morning questioning whether or not the resurrection really happened. I'm sure none of you were debating the merits of these theories on, in the car on the way to church today. Well, let's talk about the swoon theory, kids. Let's talk about the imposter theory. Do you think there's any... You weren't doing that. See, the real issue in our minds, or at least should be, is not whether the resurrection really happened, but whether it really matters. Does it really matter? And this morning, I want to talk with you about the importance of the resurrection. I want you to consider with me what life would be like if Jesus never rose from the dead. I want you to ask yourself, what if the resurrection never happened? What if there was no Easter? And again, that's essentially the question that the Apostle Paul posed to the, to the Christians here in Corinth. And we see in these verses how he challenged them to, to consider the possibilities if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. And they found out that the, possibility, the possibilities were profound. Let me back up a few verses just to give you the context of what Paul was saying here and he began this, this great chapter on the resurrection by reviewing the fundamental facts of the gospel that he had preached to them and that by receiving they had been saved. Notice what he says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. And so Paul provided undeniable proof here of the certainty of the resurrection by listing the the eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There There was Peter, there was the 12 disciples, there was 500 people at one time that he appeared to, James, all the apostles, and and last but not least, Paul himself. By the way, you may have the same title in your Bible as I do over chapter 15. Mine says the fact of Christ's resurrection. Not the theory, not the suggestion, not the hopeful, we hope so. No, the fact of Christ's resurrection. But notice how he goes on in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. And so Paul was simply expressing there how humbled he was by by the grace of God in his life who called him to be an apostle of Jesus Christ despite the fact that he had persecuted and killed Christians. That he was Christ's worst enemy. And he became one of Christ's greatest apostles. And then look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And we know that Paul wrote this letter, the the letter to the Corinthians here, to to address a a number of issues that the Corinthian Christians were were dealing with. They were a Uh, They were a piece of work, let's just say that, okay? The church in Corinth was a piece of work. And so uh, this was just one of the the, the many issues that he had to address in this letter. And some in the church uh, denied that a person's body would be resurrected from the dead. And they had most, most likely been influenced by the Greek mindset Regarding the afterlife, and one of the basic tenets of, of ancient Greek philosophy, if you ever studied that in, in high school or college, is that everything physical is intrinsically evil. That's what they believed. Everything physical was intrinsically evil. So they considered the body evil. It was a prison, and they, and they looked forward to being released from its bondage when they die. The last thing they wanted was their body back. The thought of having your body resurrected was not only undesirable, it was laughable to the Greek mind. You may remember in, 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 in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, where Paul was, was preaching the resurrection uh, to the Areopagus on Mars Hill, and they said, hey, what is this thing you're talking about, Resurrection. And they, that piqued their interest, and they said, hey, tell us a little bit more. We want to, want to hear more about this resurrection. And so he, he talked about the resurrection. And this is the response of those men in Athens 
which was the center of Greek mythology and Greek philosophy, it says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. To sneer. Are you kidding me? You actually believe that? Warren Wiersbe writes, this skeptical attitude had somehow invaded the church. This skepticism that Paul was confronted by on Mars Hill had had somehow invaded the church, and, and Paul had to face it head on. The truth of the resurrection had doctrinal and practical implications for life that were too important to ignore. And so in the next verse, Paul dropped a bomb on the Corinthians. It's like he pulled the pin on the grenade and threw it into the church. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. How do you like them apples? (laughs) And so Paul pressed their belief in no resurrection of the body to its logical conclusion. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? You got some major problems. And I'm going to tell you what they are. And so Paul went on to list here the disastrous consequences of rejecting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you may have noticed here that, that he, in these eight verses, he, he used seven conditional statements. If, then, if, then, if, then, if, then, if, then, if, then. If this is true, then this must also be true. And so what Paul did here was he challenged the Corinthians, and us, by the way, here this morning, to consider six profound possibilities that should make us extremely glad and grateful that Jesus rose from the dead. Six profound possibilities that should make us extremely grateful and glad that Jesus rose from the dead. Another way to say it, maybe in a negative way, would be this. Six profound possibilities that would, should make us shudder to consider if Jesus didn't, hadn't risen from the dead. But what are these profound possibilities? Hopefully you got an outline on your way in this morning and you can just follow along with that sheet, make it easier for you. The first thing we see, the first profound possibility, is that preaching the good news of Jesus Christ would be pointless. Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ would be pointless. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? Vain. Empty. Hollow. Now, Paul had just got done reminding them That the heart of the gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were to cut out two verses in your Bible to keep forever uh, close to your heart, it would be 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel encapsulated. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And so to say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you would be tearing tearing the heart out of the gospel. 
and leaving it lifeless on the floor. I mean, if you take out the resurrection, you have nothing left to preach. There's nothing worth preaching about. What that would mean is that I have absolutely nothing to say to you this morning. That's what that would mean. My words would be hollow and empty. It would be pointless for me or anyone else to ever get up behind a pulpit and say anything and preach anything. If you take out the resurrection, the the good news turns into bad news. The gospel becomes a, a hopeless message. I mean, what's the point of sharing a message that doesn't have any hope? Without the resurrection, we would have no reason to share the gospel with others. Witnessing and and preaching become meaningless nonsense. And so if there was no Easter, it would be pointless to preach the gospel. That's the first profound possibility. The second profound possibility is Placing your faith in Jesus Christ would be useless. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ would be useless. Notice he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And not just your preaching is vain, but your faith also is vain. It's empty. It's hollow. Now we know elsewhere Paul said this in Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth... Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? We'll be saved. In other words, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. It's impossible to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. It's a non-essential of salvation. But if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you can believe whatever you want because it doesn't matter. Your faith is useless, it's worthless, it's aimless, it will get you nowhere. Placing your faith in a dead man isn't going to help you at all. It doesn't accomplish anything, it doesn't lead anywhere. A a, a dead Savior cannot give you eternal life. And so if there was no Easter, it would be useless to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, there's a third profound possibility here if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and that is that all the witnesses of the resurrection would be faithless or fraudulent. Notice he says in verse 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul's saying, listen, I, along with all the other apostles, are liars. And might I add, we could say this, that that it makes God a liar. Because he's the one who told these guys to say that, to write this, to preach this. And they said that God raised Christ from the dead when he really didn't. And they weren't merely mistaken. 
while we're to let love believe all things, right? Well, they were just mistaken. No, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, no, they were deliberately trying to deceive and trick people and to think that Jesus really came back to life. Which means that they were untruthful, they were untrustworthy. However, if you, if you study the book of Acts, which we did a number of years ago together as a church, you may remember this, that, that, that clearly it was the resurrection that transformed the apostles from, from a band of sad, scared, defeated men who were hiding out in the upper room into this bold, dynamic army that God used to, to literally turn the world upside down. We are here today because of those disciples and the impact of the resurrection on their life and their witness, and their testimony. The resurrection preoccupied the the apostles. It dominated their life and their ministry. They preached about it all the time. It was the centerpiece of their sermons. It was the, the, the centerpiece of their letters. And ultimately, it was the truth that they were willing to die for. All of them died as martyrs, except for the apostle John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? The apostles were martyred for a lie. For a lie. And furthermore, everything they wrote is a lie. And so that means we should just take our Bibles right now and just just rip the New Testament out of our Bibles and throw it in the trash. And it also means that that everyone who's ever preached about the resurrection is a liar. Martin Luther was a liar. John Calvin is a liar. John Knox is a liar. Charles Wesley, John Wesley, liars. George Whitfield, liar. Jonathan Edwards, a liar. Spurgeon was a liar. D.L. Moody was a liar. Billy Graham was a liar. R.C. Sproul was a liar. Is a liar. That's what you'd be saying. Even Jesus himself would be a liar because he not only predicted his resurrection, but he bore witness to it afterwards. And so if there was no Easter, then they all would have been faithless witnesses. Well, if you can believe it, it gets worse. There's a fourth profound possibility If anyone's losing hope here in this message, intended to give hope, remember I'm emphasizing possibility. I chose that word for a a reason. These are possibilities. They're not realities. They're possibilities. What is the fourth profound possibility? That all of us would be helpless. All of us would be helpless. Notice verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, that your your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. He said, listen, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then your faith is worthless. It's fruitless. It it, it doesn't produce anything. It, It has no results. It doesn't accomplish a thing. We're all just wasting our time sitting around talking and singing and praying about our sins being forgiven when they're not. It's all just wishful thinking. We, we might as well go home and never come back to church. 
Let's just close the doors. Let's lock this place down. Let's sell this building and, you know, to some business that needs a larger facility. That's what, that's what he's saying. We know the Bible says that we're all sinners who, who deserve to die and go to hell. And we need to be saved, rescued from the penalty and the power of sin. And that's why Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And Christ died for our sin and he rose again to prove that God accepted his payment for our sin. The resurrection is, is God's stamp of approval, if you will, on Christ's death. Like, like paid in full. And it showed that, that God was satisfied with, with his offering for sin and, and could now freely forgive all those who are willing to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ's death alone as the only way that they can be forgiven. Paul wrote to the Colossians and said this, Colossians 2 verse 12, we have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead, when you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And so Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 15 is if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We would still be the objects of God's wrath. We would still have to pay the penalty for our sin by being separated from God for eternity in hell. And so if there was no Easter, all of us would helplessly live and die in sin. How about this possibility, number five? very practically, as those who live on a planet where death is common and we need to learn how to deal with, with the loss of loved ones during our lifetime. And so the fifth profound possibility, if, if, if the resurrection never happened, those who have lost loved ones would be comfortless. Those who have lost loved ones would be comfortless. Notice verse 18, he said, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, i.e. forever. You will never, ever, ever, ever see them again. That's what Paul was saying. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? You are never going to see that spouse who died again. You're never going to see that parent who died again. You're never going to see that child who died again, that dear friend who died. You're never going to see him again. That's what he's saying. This fallen asleep phrase is obviously a reference to those who have died, perished, I believe was intended to imply hell. They went to hell. They perished. Their eternal soul perished. He said, that's what you have to accept if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Why? Because the only hope that we have of eternal life in heaven is the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected to eternal life. 
That's what the scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise up us through his power. Turn over quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and here we have a, a, a Paul's description of what happens to people who die in Christ. In other words, what happens to Christians when they die? Those who who believe in Jesus Christ, who've committed their life to Christ, what happens to those people? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, again, i.e., who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no, what? Hope. I read somewhere years ago that, that on the tombs in Thessalonica, they would write, no hope, as the inscription on the tomb. Can you imagine? Like, what do you want, on your, what do you want written on your tombstone, right? Well, they were writing no hope on all the tombstones. And there was a lot of confusion there. In the minds of the Christians, that was the culture that they were, had grown up in. That was the culture they had been saved out of. And he says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who die, so you'll not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I get it. Everyone in your city, when anybody dies, they just grieve and they have no hope of ever seeing them again. I don't want that to be you. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before us. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, I told you that there's a connection between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. Can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. And so the fact that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he will also return. And here we have an explanation, I think a description of the rapture of the church, where he says in verse 17, then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Notice the word we, and so we shall always be with the Lord. The idea is that we'll be there together with everyone who has already died in Christ before us. We'll see him again. Death is not goodbye. It's see you later for the Christian. It's see you later. And notice he ends with this verse, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul intended this passage to provide great comfort to us when we're at a funeral a memorial service for a loved one who has died, who we know is in Christ, and that, that if we're in Christ, that we can have comfort. We, we, can, we can grieve. We should grieve. We will grieve. We need to grieve. But the difference between our grief and the world's grief is that there's hope in the midst of that grief. 
And I'm sure you've experienced that. There's a, there's a, there's a stark difference between going to the funeral of an unbeliever and the funeral of a believer. Have you seen the difference? Have you felt the difference? One has no hope. It, it's sad. It's depressing. Everybody's crying. But there's no hope. And then you go to the funeral or memorial service of a Christian and they're crying, which they should be. Death is sad. Nothing wrong with crying and grieving. But guess what? At the core of that pain, that pain is coupled with, 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 with hope, with hope and peace. But if there was no Easter, then those of us who have lost loved ones would be comfortless. There would be no hope in our grief. And furthermore, we'd all go to hell. We'd all go to hell. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Well, there's one more possibility here, a sixth profound possibility if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and that is this, that those who follow Christ would be hopeless. Those who follow Christ would be hopeless. Notice verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Well, that's Probably one of the most profound verses in the Bible. If you don't have that underlined, I'd encourage you to underline that right. If, right now, if, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, if we have hoped in Christ, if we've followed Christ, if we've obeyed Christ here on earth, and there's no life after death, then we are deserving of pity. People should feel sorry for us. Why? Because we're the, we're the brunt of, some, of cru, some cruel joke. Because we're placing all of our hopes and dreams, our entire life and destiny into something that will never happen. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he didn't ascend to heaven. And if he didn't ascend to heaven, that means he's not coming back. Why? Because he's dead. Imagine a, a little boy whose father went off to war and was killed. And yet he was too young to understand the concept of death. And so he, he waits day after day after day after day by the window waiting for his father to come home. And everyone watches this little boy knowing that his dad will never come home. And what would we feel for that little boy? We'd feel sorry for that little boy, wouldn't we? We would have pity for that little guy. But what Paul's saying is that's how everyone else in the world should feel towards us Christians. They should feel sorry for us. Which, by the way, as it is now, we 
It's the exact opposite, that, that we as Christians, we feel sorry for the rest of the world, right, because they're missing out on what we have in Christ. Do you feel sorry for the rest of the world? Do you pity the rest of the world because they're missing out on what we have in Christ? I hope you do. But if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? Believers, or excuse me, unbelievers, are, are way better off than we are. Can you imagine that? That unbelievers are better off than we are? They would be if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Why? Because they're right now, guess what? Right now they're, they're sleeping in. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm trying to stay awake right now. I wish I had a few more hours, right? They're sleeping in. Man, they're, 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 they're walking through some huge Easter brunch somewhere, right? Taking all this stuff and prime rib and this and that. And man, it's, it's going good. They're out on the lake fishing. They're, they're, they're golfing. They're, they're playing tennis. They're, they're driving their, their jet ski. And, and beyond today... They get to fulfill all their lusts and pleasures. They can do whatever they want while we're foolishly sitting here in church. All dressed up trying to look and feel spiritual. Sacrificing all this time and energy and money for the cause of Christ. Enduring trials and afflictions for the cause of Christ, being persecuted for our faith in Christ, saying no to our flesh for, for love out of love for Christ, praying and, and reading his word. All for what? We're being faithful for nothing. When we could be living it up like the rest of the world. In fact, that was Paul's conclusion here in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us what? Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Listen, if this is all there is to life, then let's party hardy. If this is all there is, then let's just party. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead... Then Asaph's desperate cry in Psalm 73, verse 13, would be the cry of every Christian. Remember what he said? Surely, in vain, have I kept myself pure. This has all been in vain. And indeed, the wicked would be the most to be envied, and the Christians the most to be pitied. And so if there was no Easter, we as Christians would be hopeless. Six profound possibilities if Jesus had not risen from the dead. You tell me, is the resurrection important, beloved? Does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely. Because if there was no resurrection, there'd be no salvation. But I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of God's word this morning, there was a resurrection. And after listing the the profound possibilities, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, Paul couldn't stand the tension that he had created any longer, and he burst forth with a triumphant affirmation of the resurrection, and he moves from the realm of possibility back to reality. Verse 20, 
But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Strange picture there, first fruits. This was an agricultural term that referred to the first portion of crops that were brought in in a harvest time as an example and a a guarantee of the rest of the crop that would would follow. It was a, a foretaste of of what is to come, you go out in the garden and you pick a pick an apple or pick an apple, pick a tomato, and you bite into it. You, mm, that's good. There's more of that coming. Jesus Christ. Interesting here to note that he rose from the dead on the very same day after the Passover, when the first fruits were traditionally offered. There's no mistake there, no coincidence there. His resurrection was to serve as an example and a guarantee of a whole crop of resurrections to follow. That includes you and me. His resurrection was a a foretaste of, of the resurrection of those who are in Christ when he returns. Notice verse 21, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. So again, what Paul's point in this passage is simply Christ's resurrection and our resurrection stand or fall together. Our destiny is bound together with Christ's destiny. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then we wouldn't rise from the dead either. But he did rise from the dead, and that gives us the confidence that we too will rise from the dead. This is what Jesus himself said in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked this question, the most important question that anyone will ever be asked in their lifetime, do you believe this? Do you, do you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you understand the the good news of the gospel, the, the, the story of the scripture, the Bible, how you can be forgiven for your sin and have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Let me close by reading for you a I think, a profound description of the gospel. Listen carefully to what this author writes. He says, The gospel message begins by declaring that all men stand guilty of sin before a holy God. It moves on to affirm that this holy God has himself graciously made a way for sinners to be forgiven and to stand clean and guiltless before him. He sent his own son into this world to live in perfect obedience to God's laws and to take the punishment from their sins by dying on the cross. It further states that this Jesus rose from the grave and his resurrection not only proved he was God in human flesh, but that the work he did for sinners was approved and accepted by God the Father. 
The gospel message also declares that all those who will turn from their sins in true repentance and place their faith wholly in what Jesus did for sinners will be forgiven of their sins and freed from God's just condemnation. That's the good news of the gospel. But then the author says this, but... If Jesus' body decayed away in that Palestinian tomb, all this goes right out the window. If Jesus didn't rise, the whole grand scheme of redemption comes crashing down and believing the gospel message is senseless and meaningless. And if the gospel message is not true, the sinner is right back to square one. He's still standing before a holy God without any provision for his sins. Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful that Jesus did rise from the dead? Because we do have provision for our sins and we can stand before a holy God clothed in Christ's righteousness and we have a risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God, who is our advocate before the throne. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the resurrection, and even though we took a little different look at it today, maybe one that no one was expecting to look at it from that perspective, I pray that, again, we just see the the wisdom of, of Paul in ripping the rug out from under our feet this morning and to have to really seriously consider if the resurrection never happened, what our lives would be like. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful and uh, we're desiring to want to live for the glory and honor of, of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have that when we die, we will live, that we will spend eternity with Christ in heaven, that he paved the way for us to get there through his death, his own death, his his own resurrection. And Lord, I want to just pray specifically for anyone here this morning who, who has come not knowing Christ, who, if they were to stand before you right now, that they would have no provision for their sin because they've never repented and they've never placed their faith in Christ alone. I pray that your spirit would work now in granting people repentance, granting people faith even this morning. Lord, that people would understand that apart from Christ, they are the ones who should be pitied. That that their life is really a sorry kind of life because they're living without any hope, both now and for eternity. Lord, make us sensitive to those around us even this morning, whether whether they be in our families or those that we've invited, Lord, those we interact with today, that you would use us, Lord, to be bold witnesses for Christ. We pray for his sake. In Jesus' name, amen.